Welcome to Strategy Talk where the authors and editors discuss news and events with a splash of history. Our host today is Dan Masterson. Joining him is Jim Dunnigan, well-known military author and the Dean of Wargaming. Also, joining today's show is columnist and author-retired Colonel Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. thought we'd talk a little bit about Israel's northern border. Uh, there's been things going on up there, not as much as what's going on, obviously, in uh, the Gaza Strip. But one of the things that happened recently and has been going on is uh, bombing is going on up there. The U.S. has made strikes. And interestingly enough, uh, Jim, Russia made a strike up north in up uh, northern Syria. So um, what is the U.S. and Russia striking there in Syria? Well, the Americans are going after uh, ISIL and the terrorists. And the Russians are too. Uh, there's really no other target for them to go after uh, in Syria. And uh, we've been basically taking our turns, you know, going after what is available. Right. So, uh, Austin, uh, haven't there been some strikes, though, against um, Iranian uh, backed militias or groups there in Syria that have been. Uh, causing problems both in Syria and Iraq. Well look what I've what I've read in it all, all open source is that there have been counter strikes uh, by the US and uh, it seems that most of them have been drawn might be artillery as well on some of the positions where they were hit by rockets rocket fire from uh, these the various Iranian proxies. I have read too that uh, within the last two weeks, the Israelis have struck some Iranian uh, targets. It was described in the report I read as a, a logistics, a logistics base uh, that is located inside Syria. And uh, for all I know, it's, it would be supporting the proxies in Syria and possibly uh, Hezbollah in, in Lebanon. Uh, I'm not sure where they were. But uh, it said that the strikes were Israelis and the targets were "quote unquote" Iranian. So this this would be sort of preempting, trying to take away their capabilities of uh, arming up north, correct? Well, yeah, ultimately yes. But the, the the thing is, is that I've read some of these uh, reports of the absolutely jaw dropping stock rocket stockages and stockpiles that uh, Hezbollah has uh, in, in Lebanon, but uh, yes, that, that's what it would be. Yeah. So, Jim, I, another thing that was hit in Syria uh, was the airport by the Israelis. Um, now, I guess, is, have, have the Israelis taken credit for that or not? They usually don't, but the airport is where the uh, Iranians fly in additional rockets especially the guided ones. Uh, they, all, they are also in the past flew in uh, guidance kits to add to unguided rockets to turn them into guided rockets. Uh, so they're still, you know, putting up a stockpile there. The Iranians are more prudent than, the, than Hamas and the Palestinians are. Uh, they want to hedge their bets. They don't want to use what they got, and they want to have a lot unless they have to. I mean, if they do use it, they want to use a lot of it uh, to have an impact 
Hamas is bad, you know, except for what they did in southern in, in southern Israel, uh, not having much impact. And indeed, Hamas basically blew its uh, capabilities uh, in southern Israel because the Israelis uh, struck back. And, uh, of course, now they're trying to uh, basically pry Hamas out of Gaza. Wow. So, uh, you mentioned, Austin, that there's just a, an un unholy amount of uh, projectiles and rockets and missiles like that that have been accumulated on the by Hezbollah. That has that all come from Iran, or or where has that come from? For the most part, yes. If if it's not come directly from Iran, Iran has helped uh, uh, finance it. I mean, there are other weapon sources that uh, Hezbollah uh, might tap. But for all I know, uh, some of the material could could have come from uh, Afghanistan. What uh, uh, Taliban captured uh, after the great American skedaddle debacle. Uh, but again, the, the reports on this, Dan, I I, uh, I think they're credible. I believe uh, really Israel is the number one resource for information uh, on it. And look at the amount of time that Hezbollah has had to build up those stockpiles. The, the rocket war was in 2006. Uh, there have been a couple of little flare-ups ever ever since, but there hasn't been uh, a what I'll quote, quote, quote unquote call a, uh, a serious response from uh, Israel to uh, attack uh, Hezbollah stockpiles and Hezbollah uh, positions uh, in in the last you know, seven to eight years. I mean, there've been strikes, counter strikes, but. Uh, if if they do have a hundred thousand rockets, and that's one of the figures I've seen. I've seen a hundred and ten thousand. Yeah, uh, I've seen even a hundred and fifty. Which yes, I saw that too. I saw that figure too, Dan. I was getting there, but the thing is, a hundred thousand is an impressive number, and it's the it's the the logic behind it is that they're going to uh, swamp Iron Dome type defenses with just too many incoming projectiles. If they can you know, position them and then you know shoot them in a in a, in a, a huge uh, volley, yeah, and that's anyway that's the uh, idea behind it. Uh, Israel has to take the higher numbers seriously as uh, a, the threat that it poses to northern Israel, to Galilee, really all the way down halfway across the country, and some of the longer range systems can actually uh, shoot all the way uh, north to south. Uh, over Israel, so um, it is a it is a threat in place that Israel has to account for. Uh, yes. Jim, some some of those missiles are ballistic, right? Yes, uh, and the Israelis don't have much defenses. What they're worried about now is the uh, threat that these uh, rockets uh, uh, impose on the Israeli ports. You know they had their uh, their port traffic, and uh, now they are basically within range of a lot of these uh, these rockets. Now, what the Israelis also want to avoid is having to go in on the ground. They've done this in the past, but that gets Israelis killed. It's more expensive, uh, but it does sort of uh, solve the problem. Uh, you know, at some cost to the Israelis in terms of troops and uh, and material. 
but they've done that before and they can do it again. Uh, basically, you know, uh, Iran and, and Israel are playing chicken. You know, who's going to basically uh, go for broke? Uh, the Iranians believe that they're in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the better position because they're just building up, uh, as Austin pointed out, a larger and larger stockpiles of rockets. And at one point, the Israelis are going to have to realize that, well, no, we cannot afford to get hit by this many rockets. And they're going on the ground. They've done this, they've done this in the past. But like I say, it's, it's costly in terms of uh, Israeli troops killed and, uh, you know, Israeli you know, tanks and what have you, uh, you know, uh, suffering losses. Uh, but right now, they're basically fighting in, in, in Gaza. Uh, they're not overcommitted. I mean, they can, they can send troops up to the north as well. But they don't want to be that committed, you know, to dealing with this problem. Uh, they'd rather, you know, you know take care of the uh, Gaza first, which they're trying to do. They're sending in tanks as well as the uh, the Air Force uh, to uh, basically wipe out, uh, you know, what's left of Hamas. And there's still a lot of down there. Uh, but after that, they can go north and they can basically deal with the uh, the problems in, uh, in Lebanon. They, they've left Lebanon alone. I mean, basically, Lebanon is at the mercy of Hezbollah. Uh, Lebanon has really ceased to function as a, as a, as a separate, as a nation. Uh, they, they've uh, basically got so many different you know, hostile uh, entities you know, within their borders uh, that they no longer you know, control their own country. And the government has basically uh, collapsed. Uh, I mean, it, there's chaos up there. And the Lebanese really don't want to uh, get any more violence going in their country uh, than the world really is. So it's a tricky situation. Again, the Israelis could go up, but they don't want to. Uh, like I said, it costs them troops and uh, material, uh, which they would rather avoid. But they yeah. took just heavy. They took just heavy losses in the south, you know, against Hamas. That, that there's basically uh, Netanyahu, Netanyahu, Netanyahu said we're at war. Now, uh, some uh, Israelis uh, officials have said, well, you know, maybe we don't have to, but it's, uh, it's basically leaning more in the direction that it's all out war and the Israelis are going to have to basically uh, take their losses and uh, eliminate the threats on both the, uh, the south in Gaza and in the north uh, in southern Lebanon. Now, one of the things, uh, Austin, that I read was that U.S. intelligence has picked up that the Wagner Group is preparing to provide air defense capability to Hezbollah. Did you uh, see that? Yeah, I, I read that too, uh, Dan. The type of air, this is was, was my take on it when I read the, uh, read the story. Uh, the Iranian advisors that Hezbollah has uh, and really the operational operational advisors uh, uh, from uh, Iranian you know Al Quds their uh, their special forces they've got people who are capable of handling more advanced uh, air defense systems and they as a matter of fact Al Quds is responsible for Houthi rocket fire they're responsible for the ballistic missiles I'm so they probably are, and, and uh, with Hezbollah uh, as well. So uh, I, that's one of those stories that uh, opens eyes because uh, heck, it's it's uh, Wagner and uh, it's Russian 
and are we moving towards uh, another uh, superpower, a regional power uh, uh, confrontation? But I, I think the Hezbollah's already got the uh, technical assets for a uh, air defense. Uh, it's not. It's a porous one. It would be a porous one even with Wagner uh, ad advisors there. It'd get taken down very, very rapidly by uh, Israeli you know, suppression of uh, enemy air defenses, Siad. And uh, but uh, it's 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 an exciting political dimension that generates uh, headlines on it. I'm not sure that the Wagner would be adding uh, significant technical capabilities to. Uh, Hezbollah that aren't already there. Okay. So what do you think, uh, Jim, about the Wagner group getting uh, involved? Well, the Wagner group is not what it used to be. Uh, and when, when people refer to the Wagner group, it's basically just a couple of the surviving Russians in that group that are acting as mercenaries uh, for the, the Russian government and sending in uh, you know, portable air defense missiles, uh, which you know can hurt the Israelis if they're not careful. Uh, and again, the Israelis want to avoid, you know, full-scale war in the North uh, because right now they're concentrating on uh, suppressing what's left of Hamas in, uh, in Gaza. And that's basically tying up a lot of their resources and they'd rather not overcommit themselves. Uh, Austin, let's uh, uh, drift back up to Syria. One of the things that I saw was interesting uh, is a story out of France and one out of Germany. Uh, in France, they issued an arrest warrant for uh, Assad. And then in Germany, there um, there's a trial on four of the Syrian generals. Uh, have you read much about that, or do you know much about those two? I saw the report that, uh, you know, Assad is wanted as an international war criminal. Well, uh, he is an international war criminal. How are you going to uh, uh, arrest him, detain him, and bring him, uh, presumably, I guess, to the Hague? That's a, a big, a big problem, Dan. I had not read that about uh, uh, the, the the Germans, and I'm curious as to who's uh, involved uh, involved in that uh, courtroom battle. Uh, It'd be interesting to know if it's uh, some German peace group or or, or, or what. Yeah, it's curious, Jim, why they would, uh, why these things have happened now. Um, because, you know, at any time over the last 10 years, you could have, well, or even longer, you could have accused Assad of war crimes, right? Well, yes, but the problem is that the uh, the Germans... Uh, are always on the lookout for these uh, terrorists, as they call them, and uh, they basically need a target that they can go after. And you know, the uh, the basically the uh, primarily the uh, the targets have kept their heads down, but now they're basically you know, popping up and uh, leaving themselves vulnerable to attack or prosecution, as the case may be. Right. So. Um, the Hezbollah has really caused a lot of problems there in uh, Lebanon. Jim, you mentioned that. Um, 
they have been elected into the whatever their parliament is there, right? Yes, and, and it's not much of a functional par a parliament. What Hezbollah did was, you know, uh, get, uh, how should I put it, get some political power in order to nullify the uh, Lebanese government. I mean, the government, the government has been a mess for years, and now it's completely paralyzed uh, because you've got, uh, as you point out, you've got the, uh, the Hezbollah, you know, uh, uh, taking uh, vote, uh, taking part in the government, and their main reason for taking uh, uh, part in the government is to prevent the government from doing anything uh, against whatever they're trying to do uh, surreptitiously. Um, so it's really just a diversion tactic. Uh, nobody can really gain an upper hand right now. That's the problem, especially in Lebanon. Lebanon's been a failed state uh, for over a decade, and things aren't getting any better. Right. Um, Dan, Dan, if I could point out yeah. something. There, there, you, among the other problems that uh, Lebanon was experiencing in the 1980s and 1990s, one of the analyses, that is what I favored, I think it's the one that's happened, was that uh, it, it would break down into confessional cantons, is the way it was uh, ex expressed. In other words, re armed religious cantons, and it was comparing that to, to Switzerland, but except it would be a constant war instead of uh, uh, neutrality and, and, and peace. And you, you see that with Hezbollah, which is a Shiite organization, <clears throat> a mall militia, which is still around. It's, uh, that's Druze. And then uh, various uh, Sunni groups, and then uh, you know, you're, the remaining Christians, too. Uh, they're, uh, they're armed, but uh, Hezbollah dominates it, and the reason it dominates it is Iranian money and Iranian weapons. Yeah, one of the things is in the last Lebanese war, their economy got hit really hard. And from what I understand, Jim, the Lebanese don't want another conflict with Israel, but they're sort of, they're, Hezbollah is going to decide what Hezbollah decides, right? Yes, the, the Lebanese people want peace so they can rebuild their country, but at the same time, they're very anti-Israeli. And if uh, something does start, they will basically uh, ignore their own uh, fundamental needs and, and go to war. It's just the way things are up there. Uh, so, you know, Lebanon has already paid the price of getting involved in this mess. And, uh, you know, like there's no prospect of it ending anytime soon so that Lebanon can get back on its feet. It's really a mess. And it's a shame because, you know, Lebanon was once <laughs> you know, the pride of the Eastern Mediterranean. You know, it was a multi-ethnic, multi-religious, you know, state. Everybody got along, but now some of the factions are radicalized and they're not getting along and they're just making more of a mess. Yeah, I know. I, I was surprised. Uh, I really hadn't followed what was going on in uh, Lebanon much other than, you know, short and like that but what I was surprised is what you just mentioned is them being anti-Israeli I I actually follow a, an author on X that he is is really uh, anti-Israeli and it, it it surprised me because I thought he he would come across that way uh, Austin what is the reason for the 
hatred for Israel up in Lebanon? Well, I, I think there's uh, there's not one reason. There are a bunch of different reasons that that, that coalesce into uh, either hatred or distrust of the Israelis. The uh, uh, Maronite Christians and Greek Orthodox felt uh, uh, let down by uh, the Israelis. There are the, the uh, upper class Sunnis in in, in Beirut. Uh, resent the fact all the Palestinians that came up there, and they, th they think the Palestinian di diaspora is one of the reasons that uh, Lebanon started to fall apart. As, as Jim was saying about what Be Beirut's status was, it was the Paris of the Eastern uh, Mediterranean as far as the uh, <coughs> as far as Arabs and uh, were con were concerned, and, and Beirut was the banking center uh, there. Not now. Uh, banking centers in in the UAE uh, uh, or moved elsewhere, and uh, they tied at some point that the the destruction of Lebanon to the presence of Israel, and some of that is is unfair to the Israelis, but it's been uh, propagandized uh, to them, and uh, it's also. No matter what you think of uh, Hezbollah uh, or the various other uh, armed uh, militias, uh, Lebanese militias in there, it's when the war starts between Hezbollah and, and Israel, it's it, Israeli uh, aircraft and artillery doing the bulk uh, uh, of the damage. Uh, one other thing, too, there is some self-protection in being anti-Israeli which is uh, maybe my neighbor who hates me, you know, when he's not hating the Israelis, will uh, not get into a, a, sh a shootout this time if I repeat the same propaganda he repeats. So that's uh, that's part of it, Dan, and that's why you have to step back three or four paces and and look at the context of the, the, of, of the statements. Uh, really the biggest factor right now in the disintegration of Lebanon is Iran by 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 far and Iranian money Iranian intrigues and arming and training as well so Jim basically Israel has ended up with two um, non-existent states on their northern border correct yeah and then they have another non-existent state in the south with Hamas, which is being pounded regularly. Like I say, that's their priority right now, because Hamas is closer and has been more aggressive, as they demonstrated in October. Uh, and the, the Israeli population, uh, you know, it's a democracy, and they say, you know, get rid of the biggest threat first. And uh, that means the uh, Israelis are continuing uh, to battle what's left of uh, Hamas down in uh, Gaza. But yeah, there's always been the problem up in Lebanon. Lebanon, like I said, it's a failed state, but it basically tried to stay out of any fighting with Israel because Israel obviously is uh, stronger. In the past, Israel has threatened to reduce Lebanon to rubble, which they could do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there'd still be something left and uh, but, be, be, people you know, would be anti-Israel, but they're already anti-Israel. I mean, how, how much anti-Israel can you be? Uh, to be any more of a problem than you are now. But 
the Lebanese are, are as Austin pointed out, are angry because they basically become the the uh, the, the uh, staging area for everybody else's wars, especially uh, Iran. Uh, so they don't like you know the situation they're put in, but there they are. Uh, they got dragged into it bit by bit, uh, and Beirut is no longer the you know <laughs> the gem of the Eastern uh, you know Mediterranean. They wish it were that way again, but. It's going to take a while, if ever, that they're going to regain that uh, status. Now, one of the things I read, Austin, is that uh, Syria's facing a serious food crisis and um, funding has run out for humanitarian efforts in Syria. Uh, what do you know about that? <clears throat> All I know is what I, I, I've read about uh, from uh, World Food Program, uh, UN, and then uh, all comments about uh, grain shortages in general uh, generated by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And uh, that's been alleviated somewhat by Ukraine operating its, its own uh, shipping corridor through the uh, western uh, end of the uh, of the Black Sea, but it's uh, uh, Syria, Africa, North Africa, uh, Southwest Asia was dependent on Russian and Ukrainian grain, and uh, there was that's been evident for <coughs> excuse me uh, for the last last thirty years, and it's it's been disrupted. But the other thing is, is it's Syria is utterly fragmented. It's, uh, there are small wars going on within the greater uh, war of disintegration uh, in Syria, and it's hard as heck to get uh, food aid into uh, chaotic places like that. The food gets stolen by uh, the armed factions. And the, the other thing, there's the donor fatigue going on. Uh, the Turks are, are are tired of having so many Syrian refugees, and they've done, a, in my opinion, a good job, given the fact that they had uh, initially a surge of about two million, and then suddenly uh, a more or less permanent population, somewhere between three and four four million, either living in uh, in, in camps in Turkey and some of it distributed uh, throughout the, the the rest of the country, but they're tired of it, and. That's uh, that's not necessarily a direct factor in the in the current food shortage, Dan. But it's something that, at a political level, uh, becomes uh, more. Uh, it makes it more and more difficult for uh, food aid when uh, the uh, the donor nations are saying we're tired of uh, we're tired of putting up with it. So, Jim, it's interesting that uh, whenever we talk about things internationally. Uh, which we do all the time, that's what we do, is somehow we end up pulled back to Russia. Russia and Iran, and they, they basically you know, work hand in hand now. I mean, they're, they're, they're really closer than they've ever been in the past. Uh, for example, you know, uh, uh, Russia has shipped in, has started to ship in uh, the, uh, the SU-35 uh, fighters, modern fighter jets. Yeah, that really surprised me when you reported on that. Yeah, now they're coming in slowly, 
but pilots are being trained, and uh, they're quite serious. Of course, at the same time, Ukraine is getting F-16s, and their pilots are already in training and very enthusiastic about their new you know, fighter aircraft. But that's dealing with a different enemy, different wars. So you've got these multiple wars. You've also got a problem with about a million of these uh, Sunni refugees uh, ended up in uh, in uh, Lebanon, and that that radically changed the ethnic and uh, religious composition of Lebanon, which has caused problems. Because you know you, you're talking about Arab uh, 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 Sunnis, and in a country that's basically got a lot of uh, Shia. Yeah, Austin. the The whole area is sort of like a a, a bad game of pickup sticks where you're going to pull on something and it's going to affect something else, correct? Well, I, I like your metaphor, 52 pickup, you know, that card game where you yeah, throw, that one throw the cards too. out. That's, it's basically, basically the same thing. It, it's, it, there are or were factions within Syria uh, when Arab Spring first uh, broke out in Syria that uh, could have formed, let's call it a, uh, a moderate, more democratic government if you had gotten rid of the Assad's, or someone had gotten rid of the Assad's. They didn't. They hung on. How did they hang on? In part, Iran, uh, in part because uh, they controlled the, the guns, still did, controlled uh, enough of the army and en enough of the security forces, and had enough of the money. But uh, now, uh, you know, you've got uh, Syrian, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Kurdish uh, self-defense groups that are aligned somewhat with the PKK, or maybe they're not. They've got U.S. support, but the Turks say they're just part of the Kurdistan Workers' Party. You've got those Turkmen villages, or ethnic Turks that are, uh, scattered uh, near the Turkish border with both Iraq uh, uh, and Syria. And you have these enclaves, uh, armed enclaves uh, throughout throughout Syria where the, the government doesn't have any control and uh, a larger force of the Assad's don't have control. And in some of these uh, places, this is where Iran wants to uh, take advantage of the lack of, lack of control and they're using it i'm i'm making a, a guess here that that some of their logistics uh facilities are are in areas that really iranian proxies control or if not iranian uh special forces and then you have the u.s and russia in there they, they're still uh, a a small u.s force uh some of it centered around uh, while the oil producing yeah apparently got uh, funding again, so that that U.S. force will remain there in Syria, and then and there's still you know some support that comes out of uh, uh, northern Iraq. No, it's a disintegrated state, a chaos state is a, another term that crops up uh, every once in a while, and uh, it's not really a state. It's as you said, you know, pickup sticks. Uh, you know. Reach in, and the thing is, like pickup sticks is probably better than, than the card game. Is that they have pointed ends, and uh, you can stick your hand in it and get stuck. Now, that's one of the problems, uh, not only with Syria. Lebanon's a little bit like it. Matter of fact, 
Syria uh, has aspects of having become a big Lebanon. Uh, that's uh, in the same same kind of uh, social and uh, cultural and ethnic chaos, religious chaos as well. Remember the Assads uh, are, are Alawites, and they're they're classified as Shias, but they're really a, a Islamic heresy. Uh, uh, they're they're Muslim heretics, and they. Uh, well, that's been one of the reasons that they hold together so tightly because they fear if they lose power, uh, they'll be slaughtered. They might be, mm-hmm. but then they've been doing a lot of the slaughtering themselves for the last, what, uh, well, let me, to 50 years about. So, yeah. yeah. Another advantage the the Assad's have is they control the, uh, the, uh, the uh, coastal area. Uh, that's basically their homeland. And uh, that gives them better access to the entire world. You know, shipping goes through there and what have you. Uh, and as long as they hold on to that, uh, they have a major asset. And uh, they want to hold on to it because it's basically all they got left. I mean, the place has been, as Austin pointed out, has been devastated. And they're getting sick and tired of being everybody else's place to, you know, uh, conduct a war. Yeah. I've been called down for mispronouncing it several times. Latakia, but Latakia is what I was okay. told. That's the major uh, uh, major port, and the Russians have a facility there. You know, yeah, the they have they have a naval base, as it were. I think they have a they contracted it. They're they're legally there, <laughs> uh, but they don't stay, they don't base a lot of ships there. You know, it's basically their their support for their Mediterranean fleet, and they sent some of them up into the uh, uh, into the uh, the Black Sea. Uh, now because of the, uh, the the war that's going on up there. Well, we'll wrap it up there for today. Uh, I'll be looking forward to talking to you gentlemen in the future. Have a uh, good weekend. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.